0: Anyway, I can see already I'm the only one with a coat on. But, you know, it's warm enough, you know, it's fine. I was going to tell you anyway, you could take the coat off, you (laughs) guys. Welcome to you that are on the uh, phone line. I know we have a lot more on the phone line today than we have sitting here. Kind of sparse, but, you know, this is a tremendous opportunity. It's that God has given us to be able to be, be here to know His words and His way of life. First of all, uh, to start out with, uh, tomorrow is one of those days that we're all really look forward to—a day of feast, oh, fasting, not feasting in this <laughs> A day of, of, of fasting. But it has an important part in our life if we only understood that. Tomorrow being the fast of the fourth month, a time that represents when the walls started coming down. And, uh, you know, I can remember throughout my time in the Church of God uh, how back in the 60s and the 70s it was, we were really close together, held together real close, but then we became a little bit lax in our studying and our prayer and our fellowship and and all those things. And I think it's sort of representative by the fast of the fourth month when the walls started coming down, what happens is it makes it more available for the um, enemy to come in. And certainly we're at a time when the walls are still crumbling around us. So... To us to fast and to recognize that it's an important time. Why are we fasting? Because we're fasting for the return of God, we're fasting that we can put our hearts closer to God, and as it says in Isaiah 58, to heal the brokenhearted and to take care of the sick. And we have a world that's that way today. Lots and lots of people are really hurting I know in when I just heard something this past week where it, it's talking of how this the walls of this country are collapsing and we need to think about that too in the day tomorrow they're, they're destroying our money and they want to destroy our military because they understand those people that are running the whole, trying to run the society outside of God their ideas is that if they can cause dissension inside this country and break down our military, break down our money, and we're no longer collect, collected together, they can take us over and that's basically what's on the, on the line for this country and you know what's something it's the walls of the church are broken down too, aren't they? I member in After Mr. Armstrong died and it started bringing in more and more uh, easy living, you know, you don't really have to do different things, you don't have to really be whatever. And so they kept crumbling down until we had a major breakup in the church. And even today, we're not unified in the church. And I talk about the unified church, the worldwide church is now in... What 500 different little organizations some big, some small some couple people some whatever but the the walls of the church have crumbled and they're still crumbling and it's sad that those things happen and so I got to thinking what is the purpose of this what is my part in all of this what is your part in this have we really sat down and started thinking about why I was chosen out of six billion people? There's just a small smidgen of people that are actually knowing God. The religions of this world, one of the news articles that i read this past couple of weeks, said that the problem with Christianity is the ministry. They're not doing what they should do. They're not teaching God's Word. And whether it be the Christianity of this world or one of the other religions of this world, and even in the church of God, do we take time and ask ourselves, as it does in First Corinthians one twenty-six, it says, and ask yourself, do I see my calling? Really sit down and take stock. What is the responsibility that I have? What is my calling? You know, it goes on to say, there's not many wise people. And I look around. I don't see the greats of this world. You don't see the greats of this world. Well, we have knowledge. We have capabilities and we do what we can the best we can. But basically, we're not the greats. There's not many of those that have ever been brought into the church. There's not many mighty people, you know, those that are powerful as leaders of a great big company or of a nation. You don't see any of those people in the church of God. And there's not many noble people. We're just people. We're just the average person that comes to church. But do we see that what calling we have is far greater than what sometimes we give a thought to? In the sermon last week, Darrell went through a number of things that we should think about in relationship to God. That's part of our calling. When you look around, where are the rich people? You don't see them anyplace. But I see you. You see me, we see each other. So do we really sit down? Have we taken stock of why God chose us? It's a very, very important job. You know, we talked a little bit before services about being able to see other people. God called us to be kings and priests. We're going to be the teachers in the world tomorrow. Daryl brought that out last week. He said, People are going to start doing their same old thing, and who's going to be there? You are, if you're doing it God's way. You're going to be the one that'll go up there and tap them on the shoulder and say, Hey, you're going the wrong direction. This is not what God wants. So we have as part of that calling to think about that aspect of life. We're going to have to teach people how to live the way God wants them to live. It hasn't changed in society today what happened in the world tomorrow or in the garden of Eden happens today. In the garden of Eden God wanted to teach he was the one that walked over and tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, where are you going? What are you doing? That's our job in the world tomorrow. But for us to do that job, we're going to have to have education too, aren't we? We're going to have to know a few things ourselves. And we have to go through a few things ourselves. So what is God expecting from you? That's what we have to get. The bottom line isn't... What's good for me is what's good for God. The whole thing, everything that happens in this world today is all about God. Now, we don't think that, maybe. We think it's about us, this little church group, our little group here. Or maybe it's another group someplace else. But it's not about us. It's not about the ministry here. It's not about the leader of another group of it's what God is. And sometimes we have to sit down and take stock. What am I doing with my life? Go to Romans 12, verse 1. We've got to take stock and see, what does God expect from me? And the Bible is full of everything He wants us to do. It says in 12, verse I beseech you, therefore, brethren, talking to the church, and this is the church, all over this world, whatever organization it is, it's not talking about one particular group. This is talking to the church, to everybody. But we don't see that all the time. And he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and we understand God is fantastic in mercy, the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Be given that a thought. Are you ready to sacrifice your life, whatever it takes, for God's plan? Now sometimes we don't do that. We have our own petty thoughts, our own petty attitudes, and our own things that we want to do. And we, we study in in a certain area, but it's not us. It's what God's doing. So we're to become a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. That's why we don't kill goats and sheep and doves and those things. God wants us to turn our life around. I thought when I was working on this, to do something on what is conversion. But that's what what it is. Converting from flesh and blood to spirit life. So we're to become a living sacrifice, not a dead one. That means you've got to put forth every bit of effort you have. And he goes on to say it's holy, acceptable to God. So whatever you got to do, say, wait, wait a minute. Am I doing this the way God wants it done, or am I doing it because it's good for me? And sometimes. We don't think about that. Sometimes it's, well, I've, I've suffered here, or I've suffered there, or I want to do this. And, but it's not that. Whatever I do, whether I work or play, whether I sleep or sing or fellowship with other people, is it acceptable to God? Sometimes we don't ask that question, but it's something we need to and he says, he goes on there, and Paul said, and that is your responsibility. Reasonable service. It's your responsibility to do those things, and not to be conformed to the world. So here's another thing to change. Don't conform to the system that we live in today. So here we do. We read, come out of the cities and come to the village, come to the to the to the desert, come outside of the villages, outside of the hullabaloo of this world. And what do we do? Do we think, hey, we are better than the rest of them because they live in Houston or Dallas or New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco. You know, in have these big cities. And they're studying and they're praying, so we must be better than they are. Is that our calling, to be better than them? If we have that kind of approach, how in the world will we be able to come up to somebody in the world tomorrow and explain to them, in love, they're going the wrong way? It's going to be hard, won't it? Because we stood look back here and there's this church over here. Uh, they do it this way. But we're better than them because God's opened our mind to the Passover or to... Uh, Unleavened bread or two different things. So we must be better than them. No. God put them where they are. So we're to be transformed from this world. Renewing our mind. Renewing your mind. That means have an open mind. Allowing God to teach us. I've had people I've talked to before said, we've got it all for Mr. Armstrong. So we put Mr. Armstrong on some pedestal and put him actually, when we do that, above God. Mr. Armstrong was a specific job to do, and he did his job, and God allows him to sleep and waits for the world tomorrow. We're alive. We're living sacrifices. We've got to make our changes if we're going to do it God's way. So he says, renew your mind that you may prove what is Good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Have we sat down and said, wow, what is this calling that I have? Am I doing it uh, the right way? Am I living an acceptable path with God? Not with the ministry, not with an organization, but with God. My relationship with the Father, my relationship with Christ, am I doing it the right way? Am I doing it to the perfect will of God? Well, maybe not. Maybe my will is totally different. We are to be completely different from this world. Christ was. Paul was. David was. These men, God held up high. David was a man after God's own heart. He did things wrong, but he made the changes, didn't he? We have to take our life and say, Is this your will, Father? Am I doing it the right way? Matthew 5, verse 48. This is what God is saying to each one of us, Matthew 5:48. He says to us, "Be you therefore perfect." What? God told you and me to be perfect, but we're human." He says, "Be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect." What a responsibility that becomes, doesn't it? How can I become perfect? What do I have to do to change my way to make it God's way? He wants me to become perfect. He wants you to become perfect. It's hard, isn't it? It really is difficult. Amos tells us in Amos 3 that we can't walk with God. We can't hold Christ's hand if we don't agree with Him. If we have a disagreement, you know, we've got the scriptures here. They tell us, like here in Isaiah 58, this is how to fast. Give You specific instructions on fasting, but we don't agree with that. We might not agree with tithing. We might not agree with going to services. You know, Paul said, as you see the day approaching, don't neglect the opportunity to fellowship together to iron sharpen iron. Well, if we don't come together and worship together and spend time together, how can we help each other? It's hard. You can't do that. So Amos says, if we can't do it the way Christ did it, then we're not walking with Christ. We're walking with ourselves. I remember that poem about the guy walking down the beach. Footprints in the sand. How many footprints do you see? Well, you see yours and then somebody else's, but do you see Christ's? Do you walk with Christ's footprints? And you have to look at your life. Not anybody else's, but your life. So here Christ is telling us in Matthew 5.48 that we need to become perfect. And we say there's nobody perfect, because Christ said there's none good. No, not one. Not one person is good. But yet, he also said we have become perfect. So is that a contradiction? Look at Job. Now, here's a man. that We all know the story, but I'm going to read it in verse 8. Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, Now here is a time... When God set a time when the sons of God were to come together, like we have Passover and Unleavened Bread and Pentecost and Trumpets and Atonement and a Feast of Tabernacles, the last great day, definite days that God set aside. We have the Sabbath days that God set aside that we are to come together in. So here's a day that God called the sons of God, the angelic host, and Christ speaking to Hillel, before you know he became Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? You know, that's a leading question to Satan, because he's wanting to find out. Can you imagine? Put yourself there. How would you feel if God said to Satan, uh, consider this person? I mean, he'll point you out. Separately pointing you out. Because he knows that Christ knows there's something that you need to work on. Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like unto him in the earth, as perfect and upright man, one that fears God and hates evil. God called Job perfect. But we know he had problems in me. We know Job. Had a problem, but yet God thought he was perfect. Took a long time for Job to find out what he lacked, didn't it? You know, Satan took everything away from him. Took his family away from him. Finally knocked him down with sickness. I certainly don't want myself in that position. I would like to be perfect. I want each one of you to be perfect. Perfect. But I don't want to see you knocked down in the position that Job was knocked down to. He spent all the rest, most of the rest of the chapter, uh, book of Job, talking with his friends, showing them that hey, you know, God's fault, God did it. You guys are wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. They kept pounding, pounding on him and saying, "Job, you're bad. You're this. You've made all these mistakes." They didn't know Job. How often do we look at each other and say, you know, you've got mistakes. Let me tell you your mistakes. Uh, but what did God do? Finally, God brought Job to a point and said, I ask you a question, Job. When I decided to make angelic hosts, where were you? When I decided to form this planet and, and do it such that it would support human life, where were you? Why does the trees grow? Why is there water and land? Why are these this kind of animals and that kind of animals? Why do we have snakes? And why do we have mosquitoes and roaches, see? Well, those, some of those things are plagues, because we didn't do it God's way. But here's a man that God said is perfect to Satan, and yet... He allowed Satan to go through a lot of trials because he wanted Job to find out something. He wanted Job to realize that if he was going to be perfect, he had to make some changes. He wanted Job to realize, this is the calling that you have, Job. You know, you've got a specific calling for a specific purpose. And yet, Job had flaws, but he had to teach So I looked up the definition for perfect. So you know what a perfect person is? first definition is a person that's having all the required and suitable elements and qualities and characteristics as good as it is possible to be. Now think on that. All that's required, everything that's required of you. Well, who requires it? God. He requires a lot of us, but maybe we don't look at that requirement sometimes. All the things, all the desirable elements. (laughs) Well, let's see. He certainly doesn't desire our elements of anger, or our elements of putting people down, or whatever they could be. So what what about desirable elements and qualities or characteristics? What is my character? Not in relationship to a brother or sister in Christ, not to a minister, not to a president of a country, but what are my characteristics in God's eye? Luke chapter 6 Luke chapter 6 Here it tells us the disciple is not this is verse 40 Luke 6:40 the disciple is not above his master he said you're not better than your master but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master so if we're going to be perfect, we've got to be like Christ. We've got to be like God. And that's a feat to work on, I think, sometimes. It's easy to lose control of your mind. I've done it so many times and you know, I have to look back on myself and, you know, you want to kick yourself, but you can't get your foot up that high. <laughs> we're to look and act and be like Christ, he says. So what did Christ do? How did he live his life? In Matthew 23, seven times he says to the scribes and Pharisees, you're play actors, Called them hypocrites, play acting. Seven times in Matthew 23, something for us to think about. Are we play acting Christians? Do we play act every day or do we take it to heart? That's the calling we have. It's not just, hey, I'm here, Uh, I look good, I can make Sabbath services, I can go to holy days, but what about away? Now, I know there are people out there on the line who think every time we have a sermon and we bring up people back talking or having these difficulties, they think, these people at Anatoch are... Really bad people. They've really got tons of problems. Uh, not that way. I think here we have developed a personalized family. We can say things and then ask for forgiveness and then change and love each other also. But what about you on the line? Nobody sees the way you think. Nobody hears it because you're all there by yourself. Here, we see each other every day. Somehow, someway, we might bump into each other at the mail room, or we might pass each other on the roadway, or go to their house, or maybe somebody's got a difficulty in works. People come by and help out and pitch in. But if you're not here at Anatos, you see, you have it made, don't you? Who knows what you do every day except God? and Christ and the angels that report back to God, no, you and I, sitting here in Anatol have a tremendous, important job that's learning to be a family, a family that can, when Christ starts bringing other people in, we can show them and encourage them to be like us, to be like God, like Christ. Second Corinthians 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, he called them there, dearly beloved. So it's not wrong to look out there and say, you are my beloved family. So we can say to each other, you know, we love you because you're our family. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and Spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So here again, the Corinthians, he's pointing out you need to work on perfecting holiness. Not finding fault, but helping and encouraging and supporting. It's a tremendous job, isn't it? It's a tremendous calling that we have because here we're called in the church of God today, and those that will be in the first resurrection's calling, is to learn how today to be perfect so that we can help the billions of people in the white throne judgment period. We can help them to become perfect also. No, we will not ever be totally perfect. I understand that. Until we are changed and become spirit beings. Second, Philippians 12. Second Corinthians 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's difficult to work out somebody else's salvation. Back with Job, his friends tried to work out his salvation. They wanted to work Job's salvation out, not in forgetting their own salvation. But that's what God wants. He wants us to work our own salvation out with fear and trembling. It means every day you have to get up and say, Am I perfect? Where am I not perfect? Verse 13 For it is God which works in you both to will and to do. His good pleasure. So what happens in our life? God's working with us to do God's pleasure. So it's about God. Now, He wants us, but it's about God. It's about Him working in us. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Sometimes that's very difficult, isn't it? In a human being setting, we can find fault. We can murmur because we didn't get this, that, or the other thing. Or we don't have something that somebody else has. And, uh, so we murmur and we find faults and stuff. And we start disputing one with another. You do more than I do. They gave you something I should have had. That you may, verse 15, be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So by us striving with our heart to do it God's way, we're to be a shining light. And I know any of us that have worked in the world today, if we've done it and, and lived a of light, it is shining. The people come up and they recognize that you're different. You're doing something right. You're happy. You're uh, friendly or whatever. I can remember working with a friend in the church who um, was a a, uh, bricklayer. And because I didn't use a lot of bad language, they soon started changing their language. So if you work in construction someplace, you find that happens. If you're a godly, God-fearing person striving to be perfect, they know you, they recognize you, and they'll change their language around you because they see it's something different. They see that light that's in you. Another definition of being coming perfect is being free from any flaw. What happened to Job? He had flaws, but God was going to make him perfect more so than what he had already said. Job had flaws. We're human. We're flawed people. Sometimes we make a mistake when we get out of bed and have the wrong attitude, or things don't. Somebody says something to us, and we come off the wall, or we jump on them, whatever. So being a being free from any flaws. That's how you become perfect. Or a defect in condition or quality. Faultless. As close to such a condition as possible. So you work at trying to be as perfect as possible. That's why you said, Paul said, work out your salvation. Work out being flawless. Work out making, stop making... Defective conditions. Another one is without flaw or error, a state of complete uh, completion or fulfillment. God is perfect. He's been perfect. His character is perfect. And we're to try to be like Him. We're to work at getting rid of those flaws. So again, I think back to last week sitting there in services and there reading. These things that God expects from me. And I'm thinking, how does he know that I'm this way or that way? Because God's including it in my mind. I'm not looking at to see if, if my wife was perfect or not. I'm trying to see, well, how did he know I did these things? How does God know it? Because he knows it. You know, he's God. He knows everything But he gives us the right to make the right decisions. So like Adam and Eve, we make the decision to make the decisions ourselves. God wanted Adam to teach Adam and Eve the right way to live. Adam and Eve decided they wanted to make that decision themselves. Each day, we have that choice ourselves. Are we going to do it God's way? Or maybe I've got a better way. (laughs) I can do it better than what God has said. So God is perfect. Everything God does is perfect, but we're human, we're flawed, we make the wrong decisions. By contrast, man's perfection is relative and dependent on God for existence. We come to realize in the church that calling that we have has to rely on God for everything that we do. Look at James chapter three, verse two. Perfection then I may refer either to a relative blameless lifestyle. Blameless lifestyle. James two three rather James three verse two. For in many things we offend everybody, somehow, some way. We say something we don't think, or maybe we just do it just because we are human. We offend all. And in many, offend not in words the same, if any man offend not in words, the same as a perfect man. So if we can then control our mind Before we open our mouth, you know, it's like they say you insert your car in gear before you start trying to drive. You know, you don't put your car in neutral and step on the gas, you don't go nowhere. So you insert it in gear, you get it the right gear. You don't want to go forward and put it in reverse. So James just tells us, insert the gears right, put your mind in gear before you open your mouth. Because then you won't offend anybody. So a perfect man is able to bridle his whole body, to control his whole life. So that's something to think about. Do I control my life or do I just fly off the handle like the, the uh, crow that sat there and ate all those prunes and then drank the water and tried to fly away and he just went right in the ground. He tried to fly away full of things he didn't go. Anywhere. First Peter one verse fifteen. First Peter 1, 15. But as much as which has called you is holy, so because God is holy, as is he which is has called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. It has to be a holy conversation. Because it is written be you holy, or be like Christ, because Christ is holy. So here, James or Peter saw the problem and told us you know, again, insert yourself in the right gear. Think before you speak, think before you act. It's difficult when you're a human being. And you're not close enough to the Father. So, again, it's saying, do you see that calling? Your calling is to learn how to be able to teach people in the world tomorrow. To be the bride of Christ. To be in the very beginnings of the family of God. Our behavior is another area, the way we act. So Philippians three verse fifteen. Philippians three fifteen. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. So here Paul recognizes it says if we're going to become perfect, be this minded, be minded this way. And if anything uh, be of otherwise minded. God shall reveal even this to you. So if we're not the same category in the mind of Christ, we're not walking with Christ, if we're not walking in Christ's footprints, then we need to ask God for help. Be this minded. Be minded to be like Christ. James 1, verse 4. But let patience, Paul said, James says, Let patience, that's something that, as a human being, to have patience. I've seen people over the years that have been able to deal with their children, and they have this love and this consideration and this patience and endurance with their children, and you never see them come unglued, and that their children are very respectful. On the other hand, I've seen people without his patience, Me, when it comes to child rearing. You don't have patience. And it's difficult, because now your children are not loving and respectful. So here he said, But let patience have her perfect work. Patience in the world tomorrow, you're going to have patience. Could you take a person... Making a big mistake and guide them in the right direction in love, not just come down on them. I know sometimes we think, "Oh, I can't wait. We're going to take a rod of iron and beat these people to half to death to get them in the right." You know, we won't make them do these things. No, you got to have patience, consideration. I can know that when when someone comes into the church. Been in the world, they knew nothing about God, they knew of a God. Just like Job had to say, uh, when he got down after God had put his finger in his nose and and gently and forcefully showed him where his mistakes were. Job had to say, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ears, but now I see you. Now I understand who you are, Father. Well, we're going to have to have that. We're going to have to have that kind of patience to deal with these people that we can show them the right direction. And we might tap them on the shoulder, but not with a rod. We might tap them on the shoulder and not grab them by the back of the neck and throw them against the wall. We're going to have to take patience and, and show them the mistakes. Look at what happened. Look at all the people that died. Look at all these problems that happened through your life, and, and that's not the way to go. So. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect, enter entire, wanting nothing. If we have true patience, we're going to be calm and kind, we're going to be able to understand the problems and able to help other people. That's part of our calling. To look into our life and see, hey, I'm very patient. So I gotta change. If any of you lack wisdom, God says, so, we're not all the brightest, maybe. I'm sure all of us have knowledge of the jobs that we're in, the jobs that we've done over the years, our responsibilities with each other. But he said, if we lack wisdom, if there's something missing, he said, let us ask God. Get on our knees and cry out to the Father and say, help me. We have plenty of scriptures throughout Psalms and Proverbs to help us see how to obtain wisdom. Asking God for it. That gives to all men liberally, abrades not, and it shall be given to him. So God says, I will give it to you if you really from the heart, and your heart and your desire is to see where you are, then He's going to help you. He will give it to you. And let him that asks in faith, wanting and not wavering. So sometimes we ask things, but do we really believe it? We ask to be healed. Do we really, truly, in our heart, believe God is going to heal us? Maybe because He doesn't do it instantaneously, then we start losing faith. There is a purpose. I'm sure that Job, going through all this boils all over his body, said to God, help me, heal me, now, take this away. He didn't do it. It was a lesson to learn. Something he had to learn himself. The lame ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. In other words, he's saying, if you can't totally, completely trust in God, if you don't have that kind of faith, then you're you're not going to get healed. You're not going to be helped. God wants us to have that kind of faith, so he gives us trials and temptations and things for us to, to work on. what is required then to gain perfection john the book of john chapter 15 verse 13 what is required for perfection what does it take for you and for me to really get perfection john 15:13 says greater love has no man than this that a man will lay down his life for his friends which one of us, or take yourself, put your name in, in wherever it is and say, I'm willing to take the bullet for this person. I'll take the beating. Would you be willing to be tied to a stake as Christ was? And you remember, Christ never sinned. Even though he said there's no perfect person Even though he said there's no good person, nothing but the Father, was willing, even though he didn't sin, was tied to that stake, and took a whip and ripped his flesh off. Ask yourself, who is it that I could say, I wouldn't do that for that person? Christ did. They spit in his face. They slapped him, a fortune crowns down on his head of thorns, and he still was allowed his life to be tied to a stake and have his flesh ripped off his body. You want to be perfect? Can you say, well, I would for this person, I would for my wife and my children, but I don't know about that preacher guy. I don't know about that bus driver. I don't know about that boss that I work for. I don't know about the head of Russia or the con- and some congressman in this country. When I know that they're trying to destroy this country, when I know they're trying to destroy our families and they're killing people left and right, people that don't have a conscience. There are people without a conscience. They can go out there and kill somebody that doesn't bother them. They do it all the time. Are you going to be willing to say, yep, I'm ready to tie myself to the state that that person can be healed, that that person's mind can be changed? Christ did that. And it says, back there in the beginning, I say, God said he's perfect, and he wants us to become perfect. He said, be you like me. Do the same things that I would do. Are you willing to be put on the state? Are you willing to stand up when somebody comes into our country and is going to shoot a person we don't like? Maybe they're going to shoot the governor of this state and we don't like them because they don't do it my way. Or maybe we're somebody in one of these towns where they're busing in hundreds of immigrants and they can't handle it. Are we willing to go to that person that said, yeah, bust them in there. I don't care what happens to them. Are you willing to say, hey, I'll take the bullet. I'll take the nail to that stake. I'll give my life for that person. You want to be perfect? Christ did those things. Take They cussed at him, they beat him, they accused him of things he never did. He never come up and said, you're a liar. He never got up there and um, said, you do all these things wrong, I'm not bad. He kept his mouth shut. He took it because he knew that that's what the Father wanted him to do. It was all about God. It's all about God's plan. So are you willing to take that bullet? John chapter 10, verse 11. John 10, verse 11. Christ said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd is the life for the sheep. We're sheep. And sometimes we're shepherds. Are we willing to give that life as a shepherd who would stand out there and the wolf come in and take care of the sheep? Look at David. The bear came in. David sought God for strength and killed the bear. The lion came in and he killed the lion. He put himself in between the enemy. And sheep, you and I have to do the same thing. We have to put our life out here for the sheep. I can remember back when my wife was going to have the first natural childbirth after having two sections. Doctors, medical profession said if you have a C-section for babies, always has to be the same thing. And I remember Malcolm Martin coming by and saying. You know, you have to do what you have to do to protect the sheep. You don't want to find yourself causing uh, the sheep to be persecuted or killed. But we trusted God. And she had an actual birth. And she had six after that, five after that. So, it's not always if you trust God. But we, as people, have to put our life up For the rest of the people. We have to say, I'm willing to bite the bullet. Maybe you don't like a brother or sister, child. Maybe they do something you don't like. Are you're going to get so angry and so upset about it that you would stand back and let them be pushed clean out of the church. You don't do that. Because if that's what you're doing, you're not protecting the flock. Verse 15, As the Father knows me, even so I know my Father. And Christ said, I laid down my life for the sheep. So you and I, part of that calling that we have, it's a very important, high calling. Not only to be a king and a priest, but be one that will take the pressure, that will take the blame and say, okay, I did it. I'm the guilty one. And it's too easy to point the finger at somebody else. It's easy to put limitations on our life. I can bite the bullet to an extent. I can pray to an extent. I can give so much, but there is a limit to how much I can do or how much I will do. Is that what Christ did? You know, I told Daryl, I understand the principle that Christ was the sacrifice, but the Father Gave the sacrifice. You, know, you think that uh, the father doesn't have the same problems? Sure. He was willing to sacrifice Christ. Didn't have to. <laughs> started all over. But the father made the sacrifice. Christ was the sacrifice. And Christ was willing to give his life for the sheep. But the father was willing to sacrifice Christ for the sheep, for all that is in his mind. What limitations do we put on Would we be like, I think it's Jethro, or told God if he'd give him a battle, give him the first thing to come, he'd offer him a sacrifice, the first thing to come out of his house. Because he had this one favorite sheep that was always there, always sees it first. Know what happened? His beautiful, young, loving daughter came out. What would you do? Would you sacrifice your beautiful, only young daughter? You know, it's a test of showing that this is what God was going to do. God was going to sacrifice His loving Son for everybody. Do we put limitations now? You know, um, we try to justify that. We try to say that didn't happen. Uh, God would never require that. What limitations do you put on your daily Christian life? You're to become perfect. You're to become to look and act and talk, walk like Christ, like the Father. Christ said, I am perfect, you to become perfect too. But if you put a limitation on it, then you're not acting like God. Luke chapter six, verse thirty six. Do we put limitations on mercy? He said, Be you therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Psalm 136, the whole chapter, says how great and wonderful and merciful God is. Do I put a limitation on mercy? That's something to think about, because we're become perfect. How about on the things we own? Matthew nineteen twenty-one. Christ speaking said to the young man, If you will be perfect, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. A limitation. This fellow said, Hey, I've got all this this wealth, I've got all these nice Things they got all these toys or whatever it is. I just don't want to give them up. Our calling is to give them up. If we're going to be perfect, we've got to be willing to give up everything, no matter what it is. In Micah. In in Micah. 6, verse 8, says, He has showed you, O man, human beings, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That is a requirement. To become perfect, he's got a lot to work on, don't we? But God has offered us so much. Our treasure is not here on this earth. Our treasure is with what, with God, what He's offered to give to us. So, ask yourself, I want to be perfect. What do I fall short on? Do I fall short in a time when I get in trouble? In James 1, verses 2 through 6, says James 1, verse 2 through 6. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's asking a lot, isn't it? To say, hey, this is joyous that I've got this temptation in front of me. I've got to fight it off. I can't do it, you know. God says, count it joy that you fall into verse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. You have to develop that patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect, entirely wanting nothing. You won't want nothing when you're perfect. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So We need that. We have a great opportunity. God expects us to be perfect. God expects us to make changes in our life. God has given you a calling. You're hand-picked. Out of six billion people on this planet today, hand-picked, God has looked down and saw something in you that He could use. He saw something in your character that he could use to help somebody else and to help you and to do it his way. So throughout tomorrow, when we're fasting and recognizing that, we want to see people become perfect. We want to see the church. We want to see this system, this chaotic system of this world's end, changed. We don't want to see any more of the shootings that go on. The, the kidnapping of children and then murdering them. The selling of people to other people. We don't want to see all that. We want that to all end. So what is your calling? And this tomorrow, as you... Uh, Go ahead and fast and take the time. Think about why I'm fasting. A time to become perfect, maybe, but to be able to to see this world helped and changed and to see our God rule the world with peace and harmony. So take the time. Think about your calling. Think of all the things that God is doing. And think of, am I changing? Am I working at being perfect?